So we're on a journey. We've been on a journey and it's been nearly a year that we've been in some form of lockdown. And uh, I've been on a journey in the scriptures. I've been on a, a journey in reading Job. And just to see uh, Job's life, he was a righteous man. He was blameless. And uh, suddenly everything was turned upside down. Somebody suddenly... His life didn't uh, go as he anticipated it would go. He didn't uh, realize uh, the conversation that God had had with, uh, with the devil, with Satan, way back in the beginning of Job. And you know, and I have read the book. Many of you have probably read the book of Job, and it all ends up absolutely wonderfully at the end of the at the end of the book, and his life is restored, and he gets a, a bountiful blessing. But it's quite a journey. It's quite a journey. And I think if you look at your life, and look at my life, I look at my life, I can see it's been a journey. And it hasn't always been easy. Sometimes it's actually been incredibly difficult. Suddenly I realized that I'm uh, an orphan. Zelani and I are orphans. We're the only ones left in our families. I had a brother who committed suicide when I was 16. My older brother drank himself to death. And uh, it's not easy. Sometimes you look at your life and say, Lord, where are you? Where have you been? Have you not deserted? Why have you deserted me? Why do I feel so alone? But I just want us to just know today that God is with us. And we're in a journey of a journey as a family at the moment. I want Milan just to come and share uh, just a little bit of a journey, which is not an easy journey. Many of you might have been through it or going to go through it or, or whatever. But let's just hear the story. Um, just before I go there, I just wanted to say about Zola's um, story. Imagine if that lady hadn't given her life to the Lord. What I love about the kingdom of God is that it's about seeds and watering. And there's a story that goes along the lines of a particular town in a particular country. And I don't recall where it was, somewhere in America. Um, and there was a conference going on in, in, the, in the city. So there were many Christians from all the nations at this place. And part of the conference was street evangelism. So um, the Christians were out in the street spreading the gospel. And one day a woman walked up to a certain young man in a restaurant and she said, So I just wanted you to know that Jesus loves you. And he said to her, What do I need to do to become born again? And she was like stunned because has it ever been that easy? So she led him to the Lord. But there had been another person that morning and someone else later that morning. And now it's this afternoon and she's come. So he sows the seed. The next person waters it. And this person reaps it. So had that lady not given her life to the Lord, we still get to celebrate because a seed has been planted. Or maybe it had been planted and you were just watering it, except it sounds like it was being planted because she didn't know who Jesus was. 
And the power of prayer really, really waters. Okay, so I just wanted to say that. So now our story. (laughs) My dad turned 87 on Wednesday, and he has lost his mind. He lives with us, um, with my mom, in our garden cottage. And um, so he's lost his mind in that he doesn't know where he is. He keeps on wanting to go home. And he keeps on saying to my mom, his wife of almost 59 years, darling, you really need to take me home because my wife is missing me. And she says to him, what is her name? And he says, her name is Danielle, which is my mom's name. But I think that his, his memory of Danielle is, I'm guessing he's pegged her in her 30s. In her 30s when she weighed 60 kilos and had long, beautiful hair and was tanned. That's his wife today. <laughs> and then my mom, how do you not take that personally? It's not about my mom. It's, it's actually about my dad. And uh, when we show him photos of himself, he says, that's not me. So he has a view of himself and his wife that is broken. Um, And we have not been able to put him in a home because we don't have the funding for this. But the way he lives his life in every facet of his life requires professional care. And I won't go into the details, but it's, it's, it's real life, and it's really yucky. And my mom is not a professional, and she is in very deep water, and she sometimes loses her rag with him. And we hear that in our home. So last week, things escalated to a place where Alan just said to us, said to me, remember Godfrey King's funeral? Godfrey King, as some of us know who he is, Alison Alcock's father, died a couple years ago. Funeral was here. Alan ran it. He opened up the funeral for, does anyone, would would anyone like to say something about Godfrey and his life? And this woman stood up and spoke about Godfrey, and she was the owner of the home that Godfrey had been put into. And she was remarkable with how she spoke about Godfrey with such love and kindness and compassion. So we got her card. I'm talking about probably, well, I don't know, just a long couple years ago and um, lost the card and forgot about her. But yesterday, I mean, last week, Alan raised the issue again and he made contact with her. And she, long story short, has accepted my father into the home and he is to move in tomorrow. So most homes in our area are, they, they range from a bottom price of 15,000 rand per month. 
and she is going to be charging us ten and a half, which we don't have. <laughs> but the Lord has always been faithful. He has provided for us in supernatural ways where we can tell you stories and you will respond with, what the heck, how did that happen? So why would he stop being faithful now? Every door has opened. My sister and I went on Monday this week to go and visit the home and see if we were happy with it. And then to describe our father to them to see if they felt that he was suitable for this place. This place is a place for people with dementia. And the people who work there are all dementia specialists. And within three minutes of our story, she was introducing us to the staff, and clearly we were in. And um, then we, we came home that afternoon, and my sister and I and my husband together, the three of us, dropped the bomb on my mom. We went and sat around her. We had coffee, and our opening line was, Mom? Look at me in my eyes. We have found a home for dad. And we let that settle on her. And then we told her the story. And you must know that my mom, who is very French in all of her emotions, very passionate, colorful, up and down, while my father is just the steady Englishman. She has wished that he would go to Jesus, and she has dreaded that he'll go to Jesus, and she has been everywhere in between in this journey, and it has been messy, and it has been so hard. And and she has wished that he would go to a home. She doesn't know how to deal with him anymore. So we told her this news, which is good news, but it's also awful. Why should anyone have to put their parent into a home? It's not the way God designed, but it is the way of this broken world. And so on Friday this week, I took mom to see the home because they have requested when dad moves in tomorrow that she not come with him. She is to stay at home because it's like putting a child into preschool for the first time. And if he sees her, she is his world. He'll think, oh, okay, so now we're going now. So she's not allowed to come with us. In fact, I'm going to stay with her tomorrow, and my sister and Ellen will take Dad to the home. And so I took her so that she could imagine where he is for the first week of his life. She will be visiting him on Saturday next week for the first time. And this lady, her name is Kerry, She is so kind, and she educated us about dementia. And she said to us, as we walked in, she said, Hello, my name is Kerry. You've made the right decision. Because she knows where we're at. Am I, am I, why do I feel so bad? Why do I feel so guilty? She said, I just want to tell you that you are not abandoning your husband, she says to my mom as if she can climb inside my mom's mind and see her world on a screen. You're not abandoning him, you're assisting him. And if you feel guilty, that's a lie you are not to. 
And my friend Brenda here told me, guilty people feel guilt because they've done something wrong. You have done nothing wrong. So at the moment we're in this place, this week has been such a hard week from Monday till Sunday, tomorrow a week. We're in that limbo stage of, I wonder how he'll respond. Um, I wonder how mom will be. We're like deer in the headlight, really, aren't we? And, but they are amazing, these people. They say, you're not to worry. We deal with this all the time. He will want to go home. He will not settle for at least four or five days, but we will become his family and we'll put you on a WhatsApp family group and we'll keep you updated the whole time. And when there's something a little personal to say, we'll phone one of you. We won't put it out on the family and he's going to be fine. And we, and, 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 and just the medical stuff and everything. It's all, it's all laid out for us for 10 and a half thousand random months, which is a song actually. Thank you, Lord. And we feel as though we've walked down this road and a door after a door after a door after a door has opened. And throughout the week, my mom has felt more and more settled and peaceful until last night when she actually began to pack for him. Because now, now today, one more sleep. <laughs> it's becoming very real but I, and then I say to her, remember, he's with amazing people and you will see him on Saturday. And I know that the way we deal with mom is going to be from visit to visit. You'll be fine. She has good friends as well surrounding her. So we just want to give the Lord such honor in this. Because he's the one who's opened the doors. When Elle phoned, I think a patient had just died. And a bed was empty and was readily available, which is not, that doesn't happen often. So the Lord has been kind and gentle and so good to us. Oh, I had some really good advice about, so we've been experiencing pain. It's painful. And this is good for all of us to hear. When you're experiencing pain, don't let it be wasted. Hold it up to the Father and let him see the whole of you. Rant at him. Remember Alexander Fenter's teaching about how effective prayer is real life on the ground prayer, not the holy these and thous, but the I'm really battling, Lord, and I need you, and I'm falling apart, and there's no way I can do this without you. Let him see the whole of you so that he can show you the whole of him. Or should I say, if he showed us the whole of him, we'd probably, it would kill us. He would show us a facet of him that we need in that moment. That's what it looks like to not, not waste the pain, but to use the pain for our transformation so that we get to come out of it on the other side, knowing another facet of Jesus that we would otherwise not have known. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thanks, Milan. So the week ahead is going to be a little bit of a, a, little bit of a roller coaster with emotions. Because that's, we are, the, the beautiful thing about life is uh, Jesus uh, took on our humanity. 
And he understands the grief and the pain and the sorrow that we walk through. And he actually carries us through that time. He is the God of comfort. The Holy Spirit is known as the comforter. And, and I think the challenges for, particularly for uh, Milane and Dini and, and Danielle is uh, the, not the what ifs or something else could have happened or, or, or whatever, but it's just to, uh, just to trust God that God is in it. And, it. and it has been a journey, a great journey, just to see uh, God at, at work. So can I pray? Well, can I ask Bobby, can I ask you to pray? Would you? Father, we're just amazed that you are our Heavenly Father, that you care for us, that you know each one of us, you know our needs, you know the financial needs of Ellen and Mary Ellen, and you're our provider. And we thank you that you've provided for this place for Ian. And we pray for Ian as he, that he will settle in there soon. We pray for Danielle as she has to adjust to the different things. We pray your blessing, your hand upon everything. And we, we, we continue to believe only in you. You are the answer and, and you are the provider. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in all our stuff, in all our life, do we find Jesus? Do we see Jesus? Because that's what we need to do, to have uh, peace and contentment. It comes from uh, Jesus, finding Jesus. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on the finished work of the cross. And while I was preparing a little bit this morning, I just read a, read a line. It said, an empty cross is the source of our peace. An empty cross is the source of our hope. Why? Because death has been defeated. And so because of that, we have hope that even Ian in his frailty, and if I showed you a picture, you can't believe how weathered how, he's looking. But he's going to get a new body. We're all going to get new bodies. For those with a few aches and groans, it's going to be lovely. We're going to get new bodies. And so I've got a very short scripture, and it part of, fits into kind of what we've been talking about, what we've been preaching about in terms of prayer. And uh, it's, uh, I'm, if, if you could listen to the lockdown group, uh, <coughs> it's from uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 to 34. And Jesus and, and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them 
and touch their eyes, immediately they received their sight and they followed him. Alexander's been taking us through prayer, four sessions of prayer. In fact, next week we have Brian Barnes from West Point who meet in the evening in this facility. He's going to be coming and sharing on prayer. So please come. Don't, don't miss next week. So what does prayer look like? I mean, Alexander's been taking us through praying the Psalms and how we pray the Psalms, and I found that incredibly helpful. Because it gives language to my prayer. As I read the, the Psalms and start praying them, I'm not only uh, getting a, a bit, of, bit of vocabulary. I only passed uh, matric on the third time. You know, so I'm not that clever with words. No, I didn't really. I, I actually only passed on a remark, though. It was, very, it was a very touch-and-go thing. And so I find praying the Praying the scriptures and praying the Psalms incredibly helpful for me because it keeps me focused. It keeps me looking at the scripture. It keeps me on Jesus and not just my own needs. And so what does prayer look like? Sometimes it might be praying the Psalms. Sometimes it might be praying in tongues. I pray in tongues a lot because I don't know what to say and I'm just worshiping the Lord and praying. And I know that if you pray in tongues in your private devotions, it builds yourself up. And we all need building up. You need building up. I need building up. And God has given this gift for us to use. Sometimes we pray relatively quietly. We go into a quiet place. Sometimes it's just in the midst of a, of a, of a meeting. You shout out loud. Sometimes the prayer is like uh, these blind men. Where they just shout out. Lord. Son of David, have mercy on us. In the story, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And wherever Jesus went, the crowds followed him. They flocked around him. And uh, that can be a dis dis disconcerting. You want to get a little bit of peace and quiet, but there's nowhere to go. So I think Jesus used the, the mountains and uh, early in the morning and late at night and he prayed all night to get away from the crowds. But these, in this story, there are two blind men sitting by the side of the road. And uh, Jesus is passing by. They hear that Jesus is passing by. I'm sure they must have heard the story of Jesus, this miracle worker. And they must have been quite excited and they must have been quite hopeful. And this was their chance. Yeah, Jesus was in their midst, was walking past them. And so they're desperate. Maybe this would be the last time they would ever see him. This would be their last opportunity to have their sight restored. And so what did they do? They shouted. They bellowed. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd wanted them to keep quiet. Don't, don't, not so much noise. Don't be so uh, Mediterranean. Be a little bit more British. They weren't having any of that. And they shouted again and they shouted again. There was a desperateness. I want to ask you a question today. Are you desperate? Are you desperate today? If so, shout to the Lord. 
Call to the Lord and he will hear you. Often those around us, when we are being a little bit too exuberant in worship or a little bit like uh, David when the ark was brought back into Jerusalem, what did he do? He danced. It was unbecoming for a king. You don't do that in the street, particularly in the attire that he was wearing. It wasn't, wasn't a kingly attire. He danced. And Michal looked at him and What's the word? He condemned him and despised despised him. And she was barren. So be careful when we see somebody joyful about Jesus and sharing the story when we suddenly poo-poo that and say, oh, they're a bit over the top. You know, that's, that's, that's not how it should be done. Let's lose our, our mind, our hearts for Jesus' sake. Paul says that if I'm if I'm crazy, let it be for I'm crazy for the Lord. If I'm in my right mind, well, that's for the Lord as well. We're emotional beings. We're intellectual beings. We need to enjoy it all. When the world and the devil begin to rebuke, in this case, it is a proof. It's proof that salvation of God is nigh. Therefore, let such cry out a great deal the more. Some old guy said that. So when Jesus is near, call out to him, cry out to him. Don't worry about what the other people think. And what did they shout? They shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, son of David. They understood Jesus to be the son of David. The commentary in which I looked at said the... This is the first time Jesus is called by his title, by this title. The expression refers to the promise of the messianic deliverer, messianic deliverer from the line of David. So there was going to be a, it was prophesied that there was going to be a deliverer, there was going to be a, a messiah from the Davidic line. Of which the kingdom that, that, this, that Jesus was going to bring would have no end. And one of the great promises that this uh, age promised, this messianic prom- age promised, was uh, to bring healing to the blind. Which Jesus told John the Baptist was one of the, uh, the, the proof that he was the Messiah. The Old Testament records no healing of blindness. And none of Jesus' followers is ever recorded to have given sight to the blind. But healing of the blind in in Jesus' life is one of his most frequent miracles. Remember in Matthew and Luke, when he saw the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, what did he say? To recovery of sight to the blind. That's what Jesus came to give us, recovery of sight to the blind. So in their desperation, these two blind men actually call Jesus by his title. They honor him by that title. What are they crying out for? First of all, they're just crying out for mercy. Have mercy on us. 
That's your cry and my cry should be, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And, they, and that's what they cry out. There's a humility. There's a, uh, it's not a demanding thing. They're just crying out, have mercy. I need you. I need a savior. Do you need a savior today? I'm sure we do. We need, in different situations, we need a savior. Even in this week ahead, as, as we take my father-in-law to, uh, to the home, it's not going to be an easy process. There's going to be some, oh, couldn't we have done it another way? Couldn't we have kept him in the home? There's going to be that kind of stuff. And so we need a savior for this week. And so Jesus has got this crowd following him. And what does he do? He stops. Jesus stopped. Jesus stood still. Nothing could stop him on his, on his journey to Jerusalem. Nothing could stop that. Yet he stood still to answer a persistent call for mercy. Jesus always stops when you call out for him for mercy. He's always going to stop. Isn't that a wonderful thought? The God of this universe stops for the individual, for the one. Remember the woman with the uh, issue of blood and, and she touched him in the crowd and power went out for him and she was healed? He actually stopped to see and to look to her. He stopped. He stops for you. He stops for Eileen. He stops for Sylvie. He stops for Dell. And he, and, he gave, and, he, and he fixes his eyes on you. And, and what is the question he asks? This is an amazing, beautiful question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? This simple question, God has never stopped asking. What do you want him to do for you? I mean, it's quite a strange question. He must have, he's the son of God. He must have known that these two were blind. He could have, maybe they could, you could see quite clearly that they were blind. And yet, he asks them this question. What do you want me to do for you? The Lord is asking that question for you today, to me today. What are you wanting me to do for you? Why, why, not, why does he need that? He knows it beforehand. God still wants us to tell him our needs as a constant expression of our trust and reliance on him. That this is where I turn to. I have nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. You have nowhere else to turn but to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That the, the end of the story... Let me go back to the scripture. Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus has compassion on you and I in the stuff that we're going through. He comes and meets our needs. He hears our prayer. You know, uh, where is it? In John, I've just lost the scripture somewhere along the line. Uh, no, not John. It's James. I'm going to look at it in the, in the real Bible because it's, I know it will be there. James chapter 4. James 4 or 2. 
James 4, verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. So I was having a, 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 a going through the scriptures. I'm going through Job and I'm going through Matthew at the moment. And I came to the scripture 10 days ago. And the Lord asked me the question, what do you want? And it was tied up with Ian and Daniel and what do I want? And sometimes it's, it's quite a hard question that because what do you really want? Do you want uh, uh, da- uh, Ian to go and be with Jesus? Because that is far better. Doesn't Jonathan Leach always say that? What do I want? And I had to work that through in the, in the process. What do I want for Ian? And it was on that day that I phoned uh, Kerry to find out whether there were any spaces at this uh, rest home. So what do you want today? Jesus is asking you that question. The blind men had their eyes opened. What a miracle. They had never seen. I don't know. Well, maybe they'd gone blind halfway through their lives, but suddenly now they could see. I once was blind, but now I see. Isn't that amazing grace, that incredible uh, hymn? I once was lost, but now I see. I once was blind. Yeah. And so my prayer for us today is as you go away from Pierre, we'll, we'll pray now, but I want you to think about this, this prayer. This prayer that the blind men prayed. They were desperate. Desperate for healing. Desperate for God to show up. Desperate where you are. You might be desperate for something. Something needs to happen in your life. Take that request to God. Make it specific. Say, this is what I want. I want blah, 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 blah. I want to see. But as I look at Sarepta, as I look at this community seated here, and those who will maybe listen to this online, my prayer, what do I want? What do I want for Sarepta? I want the eyes of your heart, of my heart, to be opened to see Jesus. Because when I see Jesus, that doesn't necessarily mean to say all the circumstances change. We still have a very difficult circumstance that we face ourselves. But we see things differently. We see things from a different perspective. So I'm going to pray this little prayer that Paul prays for the church of Ephesians. I'm going to pray it over Sarepta. I'm going to pray it over your life and my life. This is what Paul prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope 
to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that even now that you would open the eyes of each person's heart. As we spend time in the Scripture, may the Scriptures jump off the page. As we see a sunset, may we just see God in it. As we see the face of somebody that we come across, may we see Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So there's some homework. There's some homework that you guys have got to do. You've got to ask. You've got to, sorry, you've got to realize that uh, the Lord is asking you today, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And pray that. And say what you need. Just with regards to being specific, a thought has just occurred to me. It's actually not about us and our lives and us having a better life. It's about God and his glory, yes? That's actually what all of this is about. And, And for the Lord to push us into a place where he requires us to say what we want is first of all for us needing to exercise a level of faith that perhaps we have not exercised before. Oh, flip, I have to actually get out of this boat and stand on the water and, and say what I want. Number one and number two, if it is the Lord's will and he comes through for us, there will be a measure of glory that we will be able to speak about in a testimony because it is always about him. Oh my goodness, I asked the Lord for this. You said it, so it's true. And he gave me that and perhaps more. A story is born in the moment of us having to actually step out of the boat and be specific with God. Thanks, Milan. So step out the boat. Tell the Lord what you need.